One day, my coach assigned a drill, and the drill required swimming all the way to the end of the pool without taking a breath. It was really hard. Every single time I missed, he made me do it again. I was exhausted. I thought the exercise was about holding your breath. But at the end, he explained, that's not what it was about at all. I was stumped. Then what was it, I said? He said, the point of the drill was to make you feel comfortable being uncomfortable because that's how most of us spend our day. The drill teaches you how to relax into your discomfort and get through it. That's Melody Hobson. And this is The Depression Detox Show. Welcome back to the Depression Detox Show, where we share ideas and stories to help you live a happier life. I am your host, Malik Josephs. Happy Thursday. I am grateful for you joining me today as we have president and co-CEO of Ariel Investments and chairwoman of Starbucks, Melody Hobson, making her first appearance on the show. And today, Melody is here to encourage us to have hard conversations, to voice the things that are really important to us. But in having those hard conversations and being courageous will make us feel really, really uncomfortable. There are going to be knots in our stomachs. Our voices may tremble and our palms may get sweaty. But as she said in today's intro, we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. We have to be brave when talking about things that really matter to us. And that may cause some discomfort in others. But that's okay, Because we can't evoke change without confronting things head on. Here's Melody Hobson. Enjoy. One day, out of the blue, my friend Harold Ford gave me a call. It was 2006, and he was running for U.S. Senate. And he said, Melody, I'm trying to get some national press. Do you have any ideas of how I can do that? So I got in touch with one of my friends, who was a big deal at one of the media companies. And she said she was thrilled to help. She said, why don't I host an editorial board lunch for you and Harold? I will invite all of the editors, and it'll be really great. So Harold and I, of course, were thrilled. We both flew to the city for the party. We wore our best suits. We looked like shiny new pennies. We got to the building, and we told the receptionist that we were there for the lunch. We were not paying much attention as she walked us through a series of hallways and corridors. We were, quite frankly, just catching up with each other and talking. And all of a sudden, we arrive in this just stark room. And she looks at us, and she turns to us, and she says, where are your uniforms? Now, at this point, my friend runs into the room. 
the person who's hosting us. She sees what has happened. You can see the blood literally draining from her face. And I turned to her and I said, now, isn't this proof that we need more than one black person in the U.S. Senate? (laughs) To this day, Harold Ford and I actually laugh about this story. And I'm sharing it with you because on, on some level, it did catch me off guard for a moment. But deep down inside, I have to tell you, I wasn't surprised. Race today is one of the most controversial and uncomfortable topics that you can discuss in America. Bring it up at a dinner table or in an office environment, and the effect is the conversational equivalent of touching the third rail. Silence, long pauses, people are very uncomfortable. On that point, I was actually warned by friends and family, colleagues, that me talking about race so openly so often was not a good idea, that I might be typecast as being a militant black woman. And as a result, I have to admit, there have been times when I put this subject on the table that I am even a little hesitant and afraid. But that's when I realized, and I continue to realize, that the first step to solving a problem is to stop hiding from it. The first step towards action is awareness. So I'm here to talk about what I've seen, what I've lived, and what I hope we can discuss where we can all feel a little less anxious and a little more bold when it comes to conversations about race. Now I realize, some would say, the election of Barack Obama was supposed to signal the end of racial discrimination for all time, right? We see how that worked out. And the truth is, this country has made tremendous progress, of which we should all be proud. But as we say in the investment business, the numbers don't lie. And like those numbers that show that there are still significant, quantifiable racial differences in education, in healthcare, in income, household wealth, and job opportunities. Consider this example from my world of corporate America. Even though white men make up only 31% of the U.S. population, they hold 60% of all corporate board seats. 6-0. Now, only four companies have black CEOs in the Fortune 500. Four out of 500. And just in 2014, of the thousands of companies that were publicly traded that year, only two were chaired by black women and you're listening to one of them right now. The one who was mistaken. The one who was mistaken for kitchen help not too long ago. Now the company I chaired was sold, and the other black woman ended up retiring. So today, that number is zero. Now I realize, I I don't raise this topic today to complain or elicit any kind of sympathy. I have succeeded in life far beyond any dreams that I have, and I have been treated well by more people than I have not. I told the uniform story because it actually happened. I cited those numbers about corporate diversity, board diversity, because they're actually real. And I mentioned the existence of racial disparities because they threaten to rob a generation of the equal opportunity that all of us want for all of our children, no matter what they look like or where they come from. 
They also stand in the way of businesses reaching their highest potential. You see, researchers have coined this term, colorblindness, to describe the learned behavior where some people pretend they don't see race. If they happen to surround themselves with people from their own race who look just like them, it's purely accidental. But colorblindness doesn't mean that we're exhibiting a lack of prejudice. Colorblindness, to me, means we're ignoring the problem. A recent study about corporate diversity concluded that rather than avoiding race, smart companies deal with it head-on. And they recognize that embracing diversity means recognizing all races, including the majority one, to avoid showing preference or creating a backlash. Now, these conversations, I'm going to be the first to tell you, they can be hard and sometimes awkward, but that's kind of the point. In the spirit of breaking racial stereotypes, I'm specifically the one that black people don't swim. I'm going to tell you how much I love to swim. I love to swim so much that as an adult, I have a swim coach. One day, my coach assigned a drill, and the drill required swimming all the way to the end of the pool without taking a breath. It was really hard. Every single time I missed, he made me do it again. I was exhausted. I thought the exercise was about holding your breath. But at the end, he explained, that's not what it was about at all. I was stumped. Then what was it, I said? He said, the point of the drill was to make you feel comfortable being uncomfortable because that's how most of us spend our day. The drill teaches you how to relax into your discomfort and get through it. It's time for us to all get comfortable with the uncomfortable conversation about race. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, male, female, all of us. If we truly believe in equal rights and equal opportunity, we can't afford to be colorblind. We must be color brave. We need to confront issues of race and diversity with courage, honesty, and understanding. We need to find ways as entrepreneurs, teachers, scientists, parents, ways to proactively address race. Not just because it's right, but because it's smart. Because our businesses, our products, our research, our communities will be stronger and better, more vibrant with greater diversity. My favorite example of color bravery comes from my friend John Skipper, the former CEO of ESPN. John is a Lexington, North Carolina native, the quintessential Southern gentleman when you meet him. When John took over the company, he demanded that every open position in the company have a diverse slate of candidates for consideration, mainly so that the network could capture the broadest possible audience. He often talks about how a few senior leaders would bristle at this requirement. Sometimes these executives would come to him and ask, do you want me to hire the minority or the most, most qualified person for the job? To which he always had one answer, yes. <laughs> and today, because he said yes so many times, after years of saying yes to diversity, ESPN is one of the most valuable cable franchises in the world. Now, John ran a hiring process that emphasized diversity because he knew diversity isn't just about the color of the faces you hire. It's about the rich variety of viewpoints and life experiences that those faces bring to the table. In fact, studies show 
that corporate boards compiled of people with varied backgrounds and identities tend to outperform those without that diversity. In my line of work, sound investments require input and advice from a wide range of perspectives. So at my firm, Aerial Investments, we view our diversity as a competitive advantage. And this advantage can go well beyond the world of business. University of Michigan professor Scott Page wrote a book called The Difference. And in it, he argues that if you're trying to solve really hard problems, I mean hard, you want a diverse group of people with diverse perspectives, even, he would add, diverse intellects. And the example that he gives that I love so much, he talks about when smallpox was ravaging Europe. They brought together the most brilliant scientific minds to try to crack the code on what was happening. Think of it as being much like today, except lots and lots of people were dying. So these these scientists were all there. They're stumped. They're trying to figure out a solution. And the person who led to the breakthrough solution for smallpox was a dairy farmer. A dairy farmer who noticed that the one group of people who were not getting smallpox were milkmaids. To this day, the smallpox vaccination is bovine-based because of the observations of that dairy farmer and noticing that the cows were actually inoculating the milkmaids. Now, maybe that dairy farmer was Mensa. We will never know. (laughs) But we can be sure that because he had different experiences than the scientists, he was actually able to observe this environment in a different way, and they actually listened to him. Now, realize many of you probably don't own your own sports network or your own investment firm, probably not even a dairy farm. And I know that the conversation around race is a challenge we've been grappling with as an American society for generations since our founding, a challenge that calls for new policies and new initiatives and change on an institutional level. That is clear. However, each of us has chances to show color bravery in our own lives every single day. And even seemingly small acts of courage can add up to something really meaningful. Big thanks to Melody Hobson for stopping by. I got this clip from YouTube. It is entitled Color Blind or Color Brave. Melody Hobson Embrace Ambition Summit. And if you'd like to connect with her, you can connect with her on either LinkedIn or Instagram, both at Melody Hobson. And I'll have a link to both her Instagram and her LinkedIn page. They will both be in the show description below. All right. That is a wrap for me. I appreciate you. I hope you have a courageous rest of your day and I will see you back here tomorrow. So until then, stay strong. Later. Later.